I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Wheel Suckers podcast, brought to you by Look Mum Your Hands and the London Bike Kitchen. Please enjoy this recording of our live panel, the Wyman Review, with British cyclocross champion Helen Wyman, with Andrew Nippard, Hugh Williams, hosted by Laura Scott. Hi, thank you everyone for coming out tonight. As you know, we are here with Helen who's going to be talking to us a little bit about the last year of what's been happening with her career and different events. But I'm just going to pass the microphone around to introduce everybody who's on stage. We'll start with you. Um, my name is Hugh Williams. Um, I'm a level three coach for Road and Time Trial and uh, Cyclocross. Um, and I guess I'm here because I've found myself in the enviable position of being the organizer of the next year's um, National Cyclocross Championships. Having, uh, thank you. <laughs> you didn't say that on the day or the last one. Um, so uh, I guess that started because for the last couple of years I've been based at Cyclo Park as a coach, which is in Gravesend in Kent. And thanks to John Malino, who is here somewhere, hiding. At the bar. At the bar, as usual. Uh, thanks to all the hard work John's done in the past for um, everything cyclocross within London. Uh, Cycle Park hosted a couple of years ago the regional championship, which uh, then last year went up a notch up to the national trophy. And uh, British Cycling informed us on the day, or shortly after, that uh, they awarded me the uh, national championship for 2019. And uh, along with Helen, we've got some initiatives here where we think we can uh, kind of involve a lot more women uh, on the day in that race. So. Um, Planning's already started, well underway, which is why I've got bags under my eyes already. Uh, so I'll hand back over to her. And Andrew, did you shoot? Yes, yeah, so I'm Andrew. I'm a uh, sports nutritionist who specialises in endurance and ultra endurance events. And I've been working, I've been working with Helen for pretty much exactly 12 months. Um, met her last February. Um, yeah, so we to um, this entire season. Amazing, and I guess we'll just jump straight into questions for Helen, because everyone should know who she is. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, Helen won her 10th British National Championship this January, um, which is pretty incredible. (laughs) 
so I guess that's probably the best place to start most recently as well. So if you could just tell us a little bit about um, what it was like to win for the 10th time, which is a pretty incredible feat. Yeah, um, yeah. So <laughs> I've had a good year. I'm pretty happy with the year I've had. Um, I had four goals this year. One of them was um, to move up in the world ranking, which I was 30th at the beginning of the year. And I wanted to be on the front row for Worlds, and I'm now fifth, so I am. So I achieved that. The second one was to win Koppenberg. Um, and yeah, I managed that. The third one was to win Nationals. And that was actually a really tough race because me and Mickey, going into it, in my mind, we were 50-50. It was going to be one of us, but both of us had won when we competed against each other. Both of us had been together in a lot of races, so it was a tough one to win. And I, Because it was 50-50, I went in with no pressure on my head because if Nikki won, people would expect it, and if I won, people would expect it too. So... Um, yeah, it was good, and, and finally, for the first year, they had a proper medal that looks good in a trophy cabinet. <laughs> the important stuff, obviously. So, in terms of your preparation for this race, it would be really interesting to hear a little bit more about like the nutrition and the planning that goes into prepping and, and sort of being at the top of your game to get to that. Yeah, so if anybody here races nationals, you drink a lot of beer beforehand. If you're an elite woman, all the beer. And um, No. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I've been working with Andrew for the last year and we've looked at diet and things and I think it's pretty much, my diet was, was pretty good to start with. Um, so we haven't really adapted that very much. But the other things he's been helping me with are, are supplements and things like that. And when you live in Belgium, you don't actually see daylight for most of November, December and January. So things like vitamin D and um, probiotics and stuff like that, but actually this is the first year in about five or six where I haven't got sick and that's due to, to my diet and the nutritional advice Andrew's given. So, but before a race there's other things like beet shots and caffeine and cherry shots and yeah, sometimes you rattle from some of the things you're taking but it's all, it's all things that are natural and that are, that are healthy for you to not get sick basically. So, apart from caffeine. Um, so, over to Andrew. Tell us about caffeine. That's about... Caffeine is um, one of the only, for endurance sports, <clears throat> it's pretty much one of the only proven supplements over on top of real foods that for 95% of people will actually have a performance enhancing effect. If A, you time it correctly, and B, you have it in enough volume, and C, you don't have too much of it, because it operates in a, a bell curve shape, so if you don't have enough, not much of an effect, right amount, peak in the middle, too much will actually have a detrimental effect for your performance. And a lot of people think, take caffeine, enhance performance. It's kind of not as simple as that because you've got to time it. It takes an hour to get into your system. So if you take it 20 minutes before, it's going to kick in after you finish racing. So it's kind of, it's the little things. It's not just drinking three or four coffees two hours before or 20 minutes before. It's, without using a overhyped phrase from a well-known professional team, it's the, the marginal gains of having it at the right time, right amount, personalized for your weight. So someone like Chris Hoy, a lot heavier than Helen, will have a very different volume a to what Helen needs. <laughs> a lot, lot heavier than Helen. Um, so I've used caffeine in the past, but um, I actually, did too much and so I stopped using it 
and uh, Andrew, I said, so I was kind of wary this year of trying again. And uh, you get an amazing first lap when you take too much and then you die. So yeah, I was kind of wary. And uh, this year in uh, Nachtfram Warden, which is a nighttime race, it starts at like nine o'clock at night or something. And uh, I was busy in a, a VIP thing before that you have to do. And so I took my caffeine about 15 to 20 minutes before the race. And, and I won, and it was the first time I'd done it all year. And uh, I said to Andrew, sent Andrew a message and said, yeah, yeah, the caffeine was really good, I did it, and it, yeah, I won the race. And he's like, all right, when did you take it? I said, yeah, yeah, 20 minutes before. He sent a message back and saying, well, good luck sleeping tonight. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? He goes, oh, well, you took it in completely the wrong time. It had nothing to do with the caffeine. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which is a tremendous positive, because you won the race. It's a lot better than everyone else with no caffeine in the system. <laughs> So I, I do listen to him since then. So uh, yeah. So in terms of you've sort of stated that this year you had four goals that you set out to achieve. What are your goals for next year? Have you or this this coming year? Have you started to set them? Uh, I can't possibly tell you. I'd have to kill you. Okay. No, I I haven't. I have goals in my head but I'm not actually ready to verbalize them yet. Um, after the season, we do a, a thing called a Butler Performance Profile. It's very dull, but you go through and you write down things that you think you did good, things you think you did bad, then you rate them, and then Steph does the same, and he is mean. I'm telling you people, mean. And, uh, and then when I've read them, we, I then go away for about two days, because I think he's been really mean. And then I, we come back and discuss it again and, and work it out from there. But I do have, there's a few races in Belgium that I've never won that do suit my racing style and they'll go on the list and I do think I could get a medal at the World Championship. Amazing. So just a little ambition. Small goals, yeah. So obviously one of the things beyond just being an incredible cyclist, you're very involved in the sport and helping to promote the sport. Um, and you've done, is it four years on the UCI as well to help the growth of cyclocross? Could you tell us a little bit about your involvement there? Yeah, so um, in governing the sport, each um, discipline has a commission. And on that commission, you discuss things that you think will improve the sport. And then you make rules, and then those rules go to another commission, and then they get said they'll get done or not. And so I was on the cyclocross commission and for four years, and uh, it was... It was good, and it was political, and sometimes it was hard, but we managed to get equal prize money in C1, C2 races, so everything's equal apart from the World Cup. Um, we managed to get more time, we managed to get the races in the right order. We now have 35 races live on television because of the rule changes. Um, we've got under 23 World Championships, a future junior World Championships. So I think I did all right in four years, but I think there's still a long way to go, and yeah, good luck to the next person. <laughs> and obviously you've just launched Helen 100 as well, so uh, for those who don't know about it, do you give us a little... So yeah, so when we were at Nationals this year, we felt that the, there wasn't that many riders in the elite race, the elite women's race, there was only maybe 30 or 35 riders. And you look at the under 23s and there's 40 or 45 which still actually isn't that much compared to the under-23 and junior boys because the under-23 women includes junior women. And so 
me and Steph talked about it. We spent a lot of time in cars, and so we had like an eight-hour drive home, and we were talking about it, and we kind of said, well, how do we how do we change this? How do we make this better? And so the first thing that came to our head was to pay for the entries for um, everyone under 23 at the national championships next year, which is where Hugh comes in. <laughs> um, so we spoke to Hugh, and Hugh said, yeah, I don't see why you can't have 100 riders. I don't see why it can't be paid for. So that's what we did a crowdfund and the crowdfund reached its goal within about three weeks which is fantastic and so um, yesterday we re relaunched it to go for another week and any extra money over that goal is going to go towards having cross clinics in the UK for under 23 girls because it's okay to say we'll pay for your entry but it's also really important to get those riders engaged and hopefully by me coming to the UK to do some work with them and connecting with the local leagues to find out who these riders are, hopefully we can get them to come to the clinics and actually come to nationals. And I chose the age group because if you can engage young riders now, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not young, you look young. I, uh, hopefully these riders can actually, by having contact with me, know that I am approachable, I'm there if they want to send me a message or something. And actually engage them to carry on in the sport and 16 to 20 is the age group where most young women leave the sport because of social pressures and and other things and i can't imagine what it must be like growing up with instagram and twitter now when you know we didn't have the internet when i was a kid and so you can't be judged 24 hours a day when i was a kid but now you can and for us to be able to say look you know look what i'm doing this is cool there's more than just what you might see in your local peer group and things at school. So, yeah, basically, we want 100 women at under 23 nationals, and we want to try and engage those women to stay in the sport so that in five years' time, there'll be 100 women in elite nationals. I think that was the, <coughs> excuse me, that was the key thing we picked up on when we were in uh, Hetton, was the wide open spaces that you were getting in the elite women's race. Um, which kind of translates through to uh, when you see, for example, a London League race in this area, where we we regularly get to 40 or 50 women. I think, John, you'd agree with that? If we do a, like a Hearn Hill race across the senior, junior categories. Um, and if you consider that in, uh, in relation to all the other leagues which are going on at the same time, there's way over 100 women racing in any league weekend and we couldn't just figure out why they were not at nationals. And it's even worse at the regional championships, where down here we have a combined regional championships with the idea that more people will come and race in the women's categories. And there are so few, so that it's almost like the perception is there that the national trophy, the regional champs, national champs, the standards got that much higher that maybe so many women don't race. Um, and, and that's crazy because it's exactly the same thing. You know, the, the whole point of cyclocross is that it's so inclusive. Um, it's so much fun, so accessible, so easy. And there's so many categories racing on the course at the same time uh, at the league, regional league level that everybody's having fun because they're racing somebody. So by engaging uh, the under 23 women, um, hopefully as Helen says, we're, uh, we're gonna get this trickle up effect where in a couple of years time, that senior category at both regional and national level will be absolutely full um, because there's so many women riders out there that we're just going to hope they're all going to come, on, come out on the same day. Do you think there's a reason why 
it's been such a struggle so far to get women or more women out? This is the paradox because it's not a struggle to get women doing cyclocross. Um, if you look at the social media tweets um, and the number of riders you get at the quality uh, regional events these days, the league events, uh, they are there for some reason. They just um, perceive that the standard maybe is a lot higher when you get to uh, regional and national championships and maybe that's off-putting. And when we've got about, uh, looking around the room here, there's four likely candidates down there who <laughs> race every week. There's one of the juniors or top junior riders down here. Uh, and in the lower age category, certainly, they, uh, they tend to be really, really busy in the regional leagues. Uh, and the veteran women as well tends to get an awful lot of high, uh, high numbers. Uh, there is somehow a gap in the middle, um, and I guess that's what the Helen Hundred is, uh, is, trying to, is trying to fill. I think it can be intimidating. I think it can be really intimidating racing against riders that have podiumed at World Cups, that have won European Championships, you know. It's not, it's not easy to line up against those riders, and if you have to travel a long way and you think you're going to get lapped out because of the 80%, then yeah, that, that's not a great situation either. And I think also part of the thing being under 23 is that uh, it shouldn't, riders shouldn't get 80%ed because it's junior and under 23. So you are travelling all that way, but you, are, do get, you do get to do a full race. And so... Yeah, I, I think it's probably more that self-confidence, um, thinking that you're not going to get a great result, thinking you don't want to go to be 80%ed, thinking, not believing that your ability is as good as it is. And, and I last year we did a load of cross clinics and some of the women on that uh, are racing regionally and winning regionally. And I said to one of them, like, why didn't you come along? She's 26 years old. So why didn't you come along? And she said, oh, well... You know, it was quite a long way and I wasn't going to do great. And it's like, well, you, there was a girl there that races against her that she beats every single week and she got 10th. So, but these, these women need engaging, people need engaging with and need to be told, yeah, do it. You know, what have you got to lose? I think as well as, uh, as organisers, we need to be constantly thinking about the way the structure of these races work in terms of you know categories getting their own course time because in some categories they're so oversubscribed you get literally hundreds of riders on the course at any one time and contrast that with what happened at the national championships where the senior women as helen said there's only about 35 in that race so while on paper we absolutely want juniors under 23s to have their own category and their own course time um, you know, there were a lot of people up there looking at that race and looking on TV saying, well, why is the court so empty for this race, whereas other categories were absolutely rammed. So it's a constant battle for people like John, who's run a uh, London League for all these years, to find the right amount of course time for the number of categories racing. As I say, as organisers, we need to be very, um, very mindful of how we can go about uh, utilising that time to its best possible advantage. So thinking about juniors, who are you excited about at the moment? This young lady just here? <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, I think Harriet Hamden did amazing in the World Championships this year. She was fourth in the under-23 category, and she's 16 years old. Um, she's a very talented rider. Um, ben Tullett in the junior boys, he won that. That was an incredible ride by him. Um, I think... I think the best juniors have probably still not yet been discovered. 
Um, and I think there's a lot of talent in Britain and more riders that see riders like Evie Richards winning the world championships means more young riders think actually I can do that and, and maybe there'll be more women in cross naturally because of that. Do you think that, I mean, somebody I was talking to in the crowd earlier uh, before the event started and somebody was like, well, cross is just so niche. Do you think that's something that's changing, that opinion's starting to change recently? Or? Um, cyclocross is very niche outside of Belgium. Um, <laughs> and you couldn't really say it's niche in Belgium. Uh, we have 20,000 spectators. We have an average viewing figures of around 60% of the market share. That's technically more percent than people that watch EastEnders in England. So, you know, it's pretty big. Um, I can't go to a cafe in normal clothes and not get recognised, which is pretty cool. And so outside of Belgium, yeah, it is more of a niche sport because it's not so well publicised. Um, but, yeah, I don't... I mean, my, my job is Belgium, basically. My job is, is racing abroad and... It's, it's such a huge thing there, it doesn't ever feel niche to me. And do you think, you said, you know, publicizing it and getting the TV time, do you think that's something, I mean, obviously, it, it's starting to get better and women's um, cycling is starting to be shown a bit more, but do you think that's something that just needs to be pushed for? Yeah, I mean, Cyclocross, we had 35 races live on Belgian television this year, which is incredible. That's 35, well, 34 and a half more hours than road racing gets in a year. So, you know, we're already there. That's the same as what the men get. We had the national championships were on the BBC on live on the internet. And um, I, think, I think that in order to get it across to other countries is really hard. I think, how, how do you introduce a sport that nobody's heard of when nobody's prepared to show it? So I think you have to grow the internet side. You have to show that there's... Um, an interest in the sport and then from there you can you can grow it further but I mean with the internet who people yeah people watch live streams they shouldn't watch but you know it, it works and so yeah I think it, you have to use modern technology to promote the sport and Hugh what do you think about how you've seen the sport grow uh, yeah, it's just a case of over the last couple of years, it's just the, the inclusion, you know, it's gone from, I, my first introduction to cross was probably um, 20 or 30 years ago when I used to get the same sort of hot bunch of uh, basically old guys with craggy faces riding around a few parks in, uh, in London and literally climbing over fences and swimming through lakes with the bikes on their back. Whereas these days it's become a much more inclusive, you know, you get a huge uh, number of much younger riders. Uh, from a, with my coach's hat on, we get a huge amount of um, local uh, kids from uh, the Kent sort of area come into the venue at Cyclo Park. And, you know, 20 or 30 young girls, 40 or 50 young boys, two or three times a week, all doing cyclocross. And, you know, this was unheard of in the past. Um, definitely, although we, we're talking about how to increase the number of women in the sport, it has increased as well. Um, so yeah, I think the um, just the inclusion, the diversity that you're finding now in cyclocross, uh, it's just made the sport much more accessible to a much uh, much wider group of people. So for anybody who's in the crowd or knows somebody who's interested about it, how would you recommend they go about getting into it if they've not tried it before? If you've never tried cyclocross, yeah, crazy. 
Uh, <laughs> oh, you should go out and try. It's one of the best cycling disciplines. Primarily because the first time you race, nobody knows if you've been lapped or if you're in third. So there's no shame. You can't lose anything. There's no shame. It's it's a fantastic sport and it makes you smile. And, and I every time I ride my cross bike, I haven't ridden it for a couple of months, and then I'll go out and ride it. And you feel like you're actually being really naughty because it feels like you're on a road bike, but you're riding off road, and you shouldn't really be doing that. And it's just and it's and it's yeah you can go out and get muddy and no one can tell you off and stuff it's great i think a lot of the beauty that people get out of cyclocross as well is that it's kind of done at your own speed and your own technical ability so a lot of people uh novices particularly get put off by road racing for example where it's kind of dictated by a lot of the people around you like riding in a bunch or especially on an open road or a circuit uh, it can be quite unnerving. At cyclocross, you're pretty much racing your own race unless you're kind of up at the front end of it. So it's very much your own thing. It becomes almost like an off-road time trial with skills, uh, which is great. You know, it's really empowering for a lot of people who think you know they're not going to get dropped from a bunch of riders because there's always people around them. There's nothing worse than being a novice road racer and watching the pack going up the road if you're kind of left on your own. Uh, and cyclocross doesn't really involve that. It's much more of a you know, much more of an inclusive sport, I think, for particularly for beginners. And if you want to start, you should join up with your local cycling cyclocross league, and they'll point you in the right direction. And just even if you don't want to race, just go along and watch a race, and you can. And everybody's really friendly. It's one of the friendliest disciplines for sure. So I think we're going to open it up to the crowd now because I think. I know there was a lot of questions coming through on Twitter and everything earlier, so quite keen to get as many questions from the audience as possible. So does anybody have any questions? with any supplement over you know it's a, it's a food first approach and especially if you're under the age of 18 if you're working with any young people at all then I would advise any form of supplement at all and that includes caffeine um, you know once you're in vertical it's kind of good enough then maybe yes but they're gonna you know progress at their own rate don't need things over and above real food until you're getting more serious about about your racing, and when I say serious, I don't necessarily mean always at Helen's level. But you know, if you're serious about your performance as an adult, then yes, fine. But um, I wouldn't recommend any form of supplementation for anyone under the age of 18. It's just not the way to go. Just let them kind of develop at their own rate with proper food. Anyone else? So I've never been asked that question. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it. I think uh, it will never happen. Um, I've spoken when I was on the commission. We talked about it a lot. Um, we spoke with one of the guys that was actually uh, he was president of our commission, but he'd also been on the Winter Olympic Committee uh, decision-making board, and he said it had to be practiced on snow and ice for ninety-five percent of the time. And um, we don't. I mean, this year. 
I've done one race in ice. So, and it wasn't even ice, it was just frozen ground, really. So I think it would be too hard to include it. Um, in terms of if there was an option to include it, yeah, I think it would be fantastic because it would get our sport out to a bigger, uh, a bigger audience. But, um, and I would love to, to go for cyclocross at the Olympics because I would be good enough to get there. But at the same time, it would probably change the structure of how it's run. Um, and I, one of the things I love about cross is that the National Federation have allowed me to do my job um, and take me to world championships and things, but I run parallel to them, not with them. And I think if it would became an Olympic discipline, it would have to be very much encased in the federation, which would have changed my career for sure. But in terms of the growth of the sport, yeah, I think it would be fantastic in the Olympics, but I think there's a 99% chance of it not happening. <laughs> I tried to get 50 minute races from the very first commission meeting I went to um, and I was told there's not enough time in the day apparently um, so I'm now working on a 25 hour day uh, no they, I did try from the very beginning um, at the time some races were 35 36 minutes because it was 40 minutes and you just had to get close to that so the compromise I was given was the ruling says minimum of 40 minutes. But this year we saw Narman World Cup was only 39. So to me, I think it's crazy. Women have better endurance. I think men and women should do 50 minute races. I think that's enough. Men will do more laps, but it's still 50 minutes. And it, the reason why our racing is so exciting at the minute is because it's a bit shorter than the guys and you can actually, you don't have to play tactics so much. And so to me, it would be perfect if everybody had 50. They're never gonna reduce the men's, but to start with, I think the women should be 50 minutes and I have campaigned for that. Um, and this year, one World Cup in Zevon was 51 minutes. And the last lap, I actually came second because I was able to catch up and drop third. So. To me, I think it's one of the best things that could go forward for the sport. And women do have better endurance, so. But, unfortunately, the people that govern the sport don't. <laughs> do you have anything to add on that? No? Well done, well done, you. <laughs> uh, my daughter's 17, she races across uh, Central Cycle. She, she couldn't get here, so oh, okay. um, I've come instead. Um, I've got to try and get her to do it more. One of the things that she finds a bit of a, an issue is the, the racing. We race uh, the juniors, uh, vets, women, with the vet 50 men. Yeah. Um, so she's normally racing the men. She feels a little bit intimidated by the fact that there's like loads of men sort of uh, coming past her all the time. And I think they would like, and I think a lot of the women in believe the life of a separate race so that you know and again it would, it would feature them more and focus it more on them 
Which league, sorry? Central. Centrally, I'll have a word with them. <laughs> no, I think, I do, I do. If they don't have a, a women's race, and that can incorporate every woman over 16, um, then, yeah, I think that's the way forward. I think that needs to be pushed for. And because it can be intimidating. I've done Vets Junior races. Um, I actually won one, which was quite, quite fun. But other, other times, I yeah... When I first started, I used to race the London League down at Herne Hill with John, and uh, I was always battling with guys. There was never a battle with a woman, and you're not—you're probably not teaching yourself how to beat your competition when you race against the guys because they are mostly nicer to you, and they don't like fight you for corners as much as as you might if you're on a one-on-one battle with a woman. So, um, yeah, I think there should be. There should be at least one race that is just for, for women, and so I'll have a word with them. <laughs> Don't mention my name. No. I won't. You're fine. <laughs> there was, yes. I thought it was amazing. <laughs> Such a cool race. It was so brutally hard. It was amazing. The, yeah, there were, there were bits that were like, uh, Probably they, they tried to protect the course as much as possible. There was, you couldn't ride the actual race course fully until the day of the race of the first race. So they did try and protect it, but it was it. It was always going to be an epic course, and any weather condition would have made it epic. If it was icy, it would have been crazy. So to have that much mud and stuff was was fun. Um, I think that it's one of the toughest courses on the calendar. Full stop. Um, and then you put those weather conditions on top, it does make it tough. But it was the same for everyone. And the strongest rider won in every race, and that showed. And, and the whole season, apart from, yeah, Matthew van der Poel didn't win, but Wout van Aert could match him on a day when, when he was super strong. So Ansana won, and she's won the most races of any woman this year. And Elizabeth won the under-23s, and he's you know, won the most races of any under-23 man. So I think it was fair winners and it was a fair course and there wasn't much tactics involved which is <laughs> wonderful um, <laughs> no I, I do love living in Belgium to be fair like it is cool to go you know to go to the supermarket and someone recognises you and says oh I saw you the weekend and you did really good, or just normal people on the street that you, I wouldn't imagine, should recognise your normal clothes, and that's really cool. And that's the whole cultural thing. Everybody appreciates what you do when you tell someone your job's a professional cyclist. They're like, "Oh, cool." Whereas in England, it's like, "Yeah, well, what's your real job?" And so, to me, it's a fantastic place. It does get grey. Can be quite depressing. There were three weeks where we didn't see sunshine, but. Yeah, it is cool. I mean, we rented a place um, this winter and it was a, a holiday house and the people whose house we rented it from had this amazing garage set up and they had like pressure washers and all kinds of stuff there. And they were like, oh, you're a cyclocross rider. Yeah, you should use it all. It's no problem. And then they started watching the races because they'd never really been into cross. And, and by the end of it, they used to put little notes under my door when I won a race to say, well done. And so like culturally, it's one of the best places in the world to, to do that. Um, and they do have good chocolate, so. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I've just got to buy a lot of vitamin D tablets and yeah, no, I, I live in the south of France the rest of the year and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, it's warm and sunny and amazing training and uh, I, yeah, I, I lived in Belgium for 10 years, so I've done more than most people that aren't Belgian and I think I've probably and an award or something for it, but I do love being there, but then now I can't really hack more than a month at a time. <laughs> Two questions. Um, first of all, World Championships this year. Um, under 23's juniors streamed on YouTube. Yeah. Running races. Oh. Okay. Yeah. And but continuation on the top over there, we've been done Really? Okay. Yeah. That's not. That's not. This might be why we were struggling to get some. Yeah, an elite women. So first thing was. Um, sorry, I've got memory issues. The first question. Oh. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. This year, World Cups were supposed to be all geo non-geo restricted. And they were. And so, again, that's something that we pushed for in the Cross Commission, but there's something related. So the UCI are a wonderful organization. And <laughs> unfortunately, the way it's run doesn't always work in the favor of the minor, the more minor sports like cyclocross. So they sell a television package, and that includes every World Cup and every World Championships. And if that, the country television production that bought that, if they don't want to show it, they have the right to not show it. And no other television company can buy it. So they sell everything based on the road. And then you get all this free stuff that they don't want to show. And so we were trying to work out a way that it could be non-geo-restricted on the UCI YouTube channel. Um, only geo-restricted in Belgium, basically, because Belgium pays massively for telling it play um, and then the rest of the world can watch it and they were going to do that this year but I don't think it happened I don't I think you had to watch illegal streams for World Cups the World Cups yeah okay so yeah but the world championships they did not show live they own and not the women on Saturday at three o'clock. Yeah. So. Do you get commission? <laughs> yeah. So, but but if you don't have that, you couldn't watch it, and and that's that's not a good thing for the growth of the sport either, and particularly. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're they're selling a package based on road racing, not based on any other sport, so yeah, it's bad. And as for Eastern League, selling out a category that only women can ride, that's really bad too. Yeah, 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 okay, put that on my to do list. <laughs> not being pushed to be better and if he's being pushed to be better that increases the level of, of racing in the UK um, Matthew van der Poel is dominant and he's staying in the sport for a long time he's just increased his contract to one and a half million euros a year so he is a little bit less than me but you know uh, so he's actually staying in the sport for the next three years while doing the Olympics at the same time um, whether that's a good thing for the sport or not, because Wout's leaving and nobody else can touch him, so um, I don't know, but perhaps uh, riders like Tom Pickcock coming through, who could be an incredible elite rider, um, and Ben Turner, Dan Tullett, Ben Tullett, those guys coming through into five, six years coming into the elite category, maybe they'll actually increase the entire standard in the UK. Um, I'm not saying it's bad, I'm just saying that it could be better. Um, and yeah, I mean, Tom Pickock wants to win elite world championships, and, and I genuinely think he can if he stays on the right path. How do we keep those riders in the sport? I, I guess at elite men's level, it's just money, basically. And if Matthew Van der Poel's paid one and a half million now, then in five years, surely Pickock could get the same if he was a multiple world champion. So. I think naturally, 
the more riders that are paid that money, the more they'll stay in the sport. And, and Matthew himself has said, why would I go to road racing when I'm not going to get paid that much? But you look when Stybar left five or six years ago, he was only getting 300,000 as a, a road rider. And he was only getting 200,000 as a cross rider. So the sport's moved on significantly in that time. And I think that's the reason why you'll get riders like Matthew stay. Yes, so everything I do is basically full cross. Um, I do phases of training, so you start with endurance, you go into strength, you go into the top end, then you repeat, and then you repeat again. Um, I do some road racing, not a lot anymore, um, and uh, some mountain biking, not actual racing, just mountain biking. I ride my cross bike once a week, pretty much every week from May onwards. Um, I do a little bit of running, I do core work, I go to the gym twice a week, I pretty much do everything I can do. Um, the first bit of training when you start back is always endurance to build a base and then you work from there up. But everything I do is based, is geared towards the cross season and towards being good at the beginning and at the end. I do. I do agree with that. I think that America has a really good model. I think uh, outside of Belgium, it's a participation-based model, and every country has to uh, get the revenue through riders paying to enter the race. Um, and America really has nailed it, basically. Every weekend when they have races, they have two races in the same venue. So Saturday's one way around the course, Sunday's the other way around the course. And it, you, yeah, you laugh, but it actually makes like a really different race. And I've been there the first year, I was like, oh yeah, well, this is easy then. <laughs> and then the second time, the other way, you're like, whoa, where's this in there? <laughs> it's really, it, it really is different. And so they have 2,000 racers racing on a day. They haven't got time issues like the rest of the world has. So they start at 8 o'clock in the morning and finish at 4, and they get, you know, 10 races in a day or something. And that actually allows them to have elite women and uh, normally two other women's races on on the same day. And I, I can't remember their categories, but in some of the East Coast races, they have 125 rider fields and they sell out in the women's in all three races. So that's definitely improved and that's encouraged because it's a, a family thing. And the week's long national, the nationals is a week long, basically. And that encourages all those riders from around the country to go there and do those races. And maybe they have more riders, so it works better. But I don't see a reason why you can't extend, why you shouldn't have in England a national trophy weekend. And on that weekend, you have one national trophy race. And then the day before or the day after, you have a, a non-UCI race. And it's the different way around the course. And 
then you're encouraging those riders to stay in the area, to, to stay for the other races, to, to watch the races, not just do their race at nine o'clock and go home. And maybe by a family staying and leaving their kids there with them for the day, the kids actually get inspired by the elite racers and maybe you keep more riders in the sport. So yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. If you had the ability to access a pit crew at nationals, that would help. Because I've had an offer from someone to do 10, 10 riders at nationals, and I've kind of said, well, I'm not sure how that would work, but if it's, if it's something that would genuinely encourage riders to go to nationals. in Belgium.
There's a lot of beer to get through. That's fair enough. <laughs> serious injury last year. Can you talk about what it was like to try and sort of come back from that? And, you know, some of the experiences, some of the battles maybe internally. Can you comment on that? Yeah, so it was pretty tough. So uh, for anyone that doesn't know, I crashed at the European Championships. A rider put their foot in my front wheel and I stopped at about 50k an hour. So it hurt quite a lot. Um, I broke my collarbone, I got concussion and did everywhere else on my body as well, I think. Um, and I didn't race then from the 30th of October until the 16th of January. And my first race back was the World Cup in Hoogerheide and then my second race back was the World Championships. Um, and yeah, it was it was tough. It was a tough time. I um, I had Steph. Everybody needs a Steph. He's a very good mechanic, driver, all those kind of things. He's very useful, um, and he was also there for me when I needed emotionally to deal with it. And I'm he's probably disagree, but I'm quite a stable person. But at the time. There was, you know, we went after about two weeks and to have the um, dressings off and stuff. And my shoulder wound, which was separate to the collarbone, had got infected. And up until that point, I was, I was doing okay. I I'd managed all my expectations. And then, it, and then I worked in a hospital, so I just imagined my arm was going to drop off or something. And the reality of that was obviously nothing. It was absolutely fine. It healed in two weeks. But at the time, I did have Steph to reason it through with me. And a broken bone does heal, an upper limb fracture does heal in six to eight weeks. So, you know, you have a timeline and as long as everything's working and, and going right, you know it's, it will heal. But yeah, it is tough. It's, I'm 36, I was 35 and, you know, a lot of people retire at that age. It's not, to come back and get the season I've had is pretty impressive. Um, that, that sounds like I'm really big myself up. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of what I achieved to come back and um, to have the season I had this year. I'm, uh, I think that getting second in um, Hoogstrand last year after three weeks back on the bike was the, the point that made me realize, yeah, you're still good enough for this because if I wasn't competing at that level, you're still unsure, you still don't necessarily believe in yourself. I'm quite a confidence-based rider, and most of the time I'm overly confident, And but last year it was kind of, you're questioning yourself, so to get that result reassured you that, yeah, you know, you need to come back and do it. And so, yeah, it was tough, but I don't think at any point I ever wanted to end my career on that season, and that was probably the main driving force to come back that this year. And now it's because I know I can do better. <laughs> uh, do you reckon more can be done for outside sponsors such as Red Bull or um, just thinking in terms of like mountain biking, XCO, to get involved with the sport, rockstar sports, etc., um, to raise the profile of cyclocross? Because at the moment it's got Red Bull. Sponsor, say, the Pigskin Criterion Series, Red, you know, Red Book, 
Absolutely, I do think they can, and I do think that um, there is a huge opportunity to sell women's sport to equalise World Cup prize money by selling the women's side of the sport. And in Belgium, they've done that, and Glasgow have brought in um, an ice cream manufacturer as a sponsor for the women's series. And so individually, they've brought extra money in just by saying we're going to support the women's series. Um, I think that. I mean, in Belgium, everyone's outside of industry. There aren't any industry sponsors. Maybe Shimano, but that's a UCI sponsor. So, um, And I think that in other countries, there's a lot of opportunity to do that. And one of my sponsors is actually um, Zypex is a, now I've got to get this right, a crystalline chemical that's mixed with concrete to waterproof. Um, yeah, I think I've got that one right this time. Uh, and they're actually, they're a huge... Uh, a huge manufacturer of this chemical that mixes with this concrete and they, they sell it to, like, they use it in the shard and places like that, so really big. Something that you or I wouldn't buy to help our house, but off the back of sponsoring me, they've actually uh, got a couple of more deals with um, Belgian companies. So, it's there are plenty of opportunities for that kind of thing. I think, yeah, Red Bull's a fantastic example. They've done a lot with mountain biking. And they do sponsor Pauline Prevot and, and Wout Van Aert, but um, I think they're probably too, too X-Gamesy type than for cyclocross. Cyclocross is weird in that it's not road racing, so it's not like sleek and road racing-y, and it's not gnarly and mountain biking, so it kind of, it doesn't, it doesn't really know where to sit, basically. But there are plenty of opportunities to do that, and on the problem again is the wonderful UCI. They uh, they have a specific department that look out for sponsors for for the different sports, and it was taken away from the guy that used to do it on the cross commission. And so now we're like fourth tier to get anything basically. So any sponsors that come in, oh yeah, we'll take you to the road racing, and then they never get to us. So um, yeah. I think there's plenty of opportunity, but if you know anyone, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, one year at National at Worlds, um, Steph said to a magazine that these ties they had a blue sidewall, and it was just just a fun thing. And uh, they said to the magazine, "Yeah, it's waterproof." Mud, mud repellent waterproof and they wrote me in their magazine <laughs> oops <laughs> so we'll just take a few last questions anyone anyone hello you do a, a really good job of your social side of your social media what, what are your motivations behind that and part two which other riders do you think are doing a good job um my motivation to do it is that I like talking about myself. Um, so it's really easy. No, I, I want the sport to be accessible and I want people to know what it's like. And I want, I don't, I think you can look at a million race reports and you can watch a minute, look at a million results, but it doesn't tell you anything about the riders or the story or. Um, or the what you were feeling and things like that. And so my race videos this year have been all about 
telling a bit of a story about the race, a bit of how I feel, a bit of how I interpret what I've done. And um, I think I think people appreciate that because it's a little bit different and because I come across just as a normal, well, I hope I come across as a normal person, but I have the same feelings that, you, that anyone here might have in a bike race. And so um, I think people should see that. There's nothing different that goes on in my head than, than anyone else. So... Um, and once again, I've got a brain issue. What was the second question? Which other riders do you think are doing a good job with their social? I think Sana Van Passen used to do an amazing job. She's retired. Um, I think a lot of the, the Belgian and Dutch riders don't haven't learned to use English speaking social media yet to the same way that, that the Americans do. Um, I think Jeremy Powers is very good at his profile. Um, Ellen Noble does a, a good job on what she's uh, doing. She has a really good social media presence. Um, and it's not all about results, which is, is good. Um, yeah. I, I think the better you are in the sport, the less you do which is actually really weird because the better you are, the more people want to know about what you do. So, yeah, maybe they're too busy training and I'm not or something. <laughs> we had a question down here. Oh, that's two. Oh, oh. 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 Yes. Do you think that we could learn something from the Americans, you know, given uh, the results that we had in the women's race this year, the World Cyclocross in, learn from the American women? Yeah, they did, yeah. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I think their racing is actually really, really good. So I've raced in America for the last seven years, and the standard, the, the strength and depth has significantly improved. Katie Compton's always won stuff, it's what she does. Um, Caitlin Keogh's getting to the age where she's super strong and her skills match her strength now. Um, so she's had like four World Cup podiums this year. Um, and I think that because the strength and depth is much higher, even than Europe, in the 5 to 10th place, they actually get a lot of really good riders who can perform really well on their day. So, um, yeah, I think uh, Elle Anderson was also in the top 10. Who was the fourth one? Oh, I think there was only three. But yeah, yeah, they did really good. And maybe it's by growing the under 23 that it increases the competition into the elites which when you have you look at riders like tom pickock but he came super strong when he was racing against dan tullett and ben turner so there's three of them that every week they're making each other go faster and harder and that improves their skills so the same with the women if you get two or three women that can compete against each other week in week out they improve the level in that country so yeah we could definitely learn from from the americans yeah. Uh, apologies, we've arrived a little bit late, so you may have covered this already. Um, if you have, Andrew, I have a spare question for you. Um, how has working with Andrew helped your career? Has it given you longevity? Is it speed? Yeah. <laughs> it's made me really skinny. No, I, uh, it's really been interesting, actually. It's been um, like, uh, yeah, you, you missed this bit. So, um, like I said earlier, the, um, 
this year's the first year in about five years that I haven't been sick in the entire season, and I think that relates to nutrition and supplements. Um, I have learned how to use caffeine properly for the first time, um, and I think that does help towards the end of a race, which is really good. Um, I, yeah, I think it's fantastic. We've only worked together a year, and I think uh, I'm not going to give them credit for longevity after 12 months, but uh, I don't see why it can't help, yeah, extend my career for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, John, you missed the, the start bit, but I think um, Helen's diet was pretty much there or thereabouts when I first started working with her. So, in some ways, it made my job harder because a lot of people I work with, it's like it's quite obvious what they need to work on, and quite often that's the, the food first and the real food, food um, approach first before you then start working on the finer details and the you know the really fine margins with you know, additional supplements, whether it's caffeine or beetroot juice or, um, you know, performance cherry for, for racing only. So um, it was pretty difficult to, I'd say, make too many improvements. It's uh, just fine-tuning, really. Apparently I had the best iron he's seen in uh, an athlete in my diet, <laughs> FYR. Pretty much every um, female endurance athlete I've ever worked with, uh, no, iron-deficient not just for what they're doing, but just in terms of the normal population and the iron requirements for endurance athletes are far higher than, you know, a normal, I suppose, non-athletic person. And, uh, Helen's was well, well above even the range for an endurance athlete, and that's pretty much unheard of. Uh, welcome. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, no, this is dedicated to all the race organisers here. I see a couple here and there. Um, just a few facts actually. Uh, ten years ago we had total number of rides per season was about 10 to 12,000. We are now this year, for the last the season's just finished, we are just short of 70,000 individual bike rides during that season. Now we did discuss yesterday whether we could cheat and go over 71,000 but we decided we couldn't. The issue for Chris now these are really big fundamental issues and every time anyone presents a race to any committee, any organiser, they're going to ask those simple questions. And for, for, for race organisers, and I understand why Eastern Region did what they did, and I know how central it were. It's capacity. How many people can you deal with on the day? Yeah. So here, how many toilets have you got? <laughs> Uh, this is actually uh, quite true. Um, what happens when you're awarded, first of all, um, from our perspective, it was a London League. Uh, there's a pathway, London League, um, regional championships, national trophy, uh, all the way up to next year's national championship. Uh, I'd like to think it's because we've got a fantastic course at Cycle Park. It's because we've got a nice car park. It's because we've got the sufficient number of toilets, and it's because we're very, very close to the M25. So around that, yes, we've got to build the best possible course we have, but John is absolutely right. It's all about, when you get to that level, it's all about the facilities. Um, and being a, uh, being a venue which is cycle-specific and permanently in place at Cycle Park, that allows us to do an awful lot, obviously, which many other venues can, can do. Um, 
so I think the next step from that is obviously next year's event. How do we, how do we maximise what we've got? Uh, and the challenge for me and Carl over there from the ground staff team who helped me build the course last year. We're going to need a much bigger team this year, Carl. Um, is how we how we actually utilise what we've got in place around all of those nice facilities. Um, and even the facilities we have at Cycle Park are nowhere near sufficient for a national championship. So, for example, we've not got enough car parking space. We've not got enough motorhome space. Um, we're going to need to put offside car, car parking in place and sort of a shuttle service between the major stations, Gravesend, Ebbsfleet, um, rotating, so it's bringing people in from the car parks, for example. We're going to have to organise a much better crowd control system because based on the numbers of people who turned up at Hedden, which is not the easiest place in the world to get to, compared to Cycle Park, we're going to be overrun by crowds. It's a three-day event, not a one-day event. So all of these uh, infrastructure problems become the main issues. Uh, and it's almost like the course itself is a, a secondary issue. Um, I think Hetton did a really, really good job of how they managed all the crowds. I didn't think the course was as technical as it might be. I don't know if Evan would agree with that. I thought it was amazing. Yeah, it was a great course, don't get me wrong. <laughs> really good. Um, it, was, uh, it was a classic case where they utilised what they had to the best possible way they could. So there was a, an awful lot of uh, long weeping corners, kind of uh, muddy corners, which presented as very presented a challenge in Cork in its own way, but uh, not not necessarily a, uh, as technical. So with Cycle Park, we've got an entirely different uh, different course in place, which is much tighter. Uh, and if all the people who race the um, all the people who race the national trophy there this year will attest, it's all about sort of off camber banks, steep run-ups, a lot more of the kind of traditional cyclocross skills. Yeah. So um, compared to uh, compared to what that had happened, which was using a very very large area, Cycle Park's much more condensed. So we have the specific challenges uh, of the of the uh, geography there, which means there's an awful lot of technical kind of bank run-ups and stuff. There's never a great deal of di distance between any one technical element and the next, so we kind of um, compared it to a Fisher-Price activity centre. <laughs> For those people who are old enough to remember those. Um, so there's always a very upcoming fast uh, new challenge approaching, which um, Helen will see when she's racing the next year. Lots lots of more running than Sunderland, which I know is good for you. Um, so yeah, it's all about um, combining really the, uh, the natural landscape you have, using it as best you can around what the infrastructure needs to be for the Federation and the UCI regulations, and it's kind of making the most of everything come together, which I'm uh, really looking forward to. <laughs> I think that's actually one of the biggest differences between Belgium and the rest of the world is that Belgium finds a cyclocross venue like the Koppenberg and they make it work. Whereas around the rest of the world, because it's participation driven, the organisers like you have to think, look into things like toilets and car parks. In Belgium, you piss against a tree and it's absolutely fine. And the parking can be... Geaton, the parking is probably two and a half kilometres from the race for the riders. And it's fine for the riders, you're on a bike, but 
my pit staff have to walk five kilometers in a day just to get to the pit and they don't care nobody cares and so i think that highlights very much how the structure is very different even though it's the same sport it's very different in in belgium compared to rest of the world and I think, again, because we're um, a, a dedicated cycle facility at Cycle Park, we've got a huge advantage there because most of that course will be in place. As a legacy of the national trophy we did this year, we've budgeted for um, permanently in place um, cyclocross features, which when the, uh, the national championships happen, is just simply a case of hooking them all up to make the new course. Whereas some of the other regional organisers, they literally go into a field, which is nothing there, and put everything in place. So then this year's national trophy for the first time in Crawley, Crawley Wheelers, done at Ardingley, they literally will have to go in a couple of days before and do the whole thing with a massive team of people. So it's uh, it's a big challenge to just turn a field into a, a national trophy cyclocross event. <laughs> there is going to be a flyover. Um, we've got... <laughs> We've got a guy coming in next week who's going to build it for us. I've done, I've done a couple of course layouts where, um, where it'll be included. Um, one of which is going to be favourable. It's going to be near the start, which will be at the Cycle Park uh, Cafe end this year. Yeah, it's going to be moved up to the start straight for those of you who've done it. Um, we've got a couple of options of bridges and flyovers. Um, it's a bit featureless at that end of the course at the moment, so if we put the flyover up there, it kind of gives people something to look at. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're not going to have a crop there. <laughs> Can you add a, uh, we have actually got a license to sell beer at Cycle Park. The problem is, you, pretty much the only way you can get there is to drive. So it's you not really. The license to give it away for free. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually looking at putting a. I don't know if you've seen these um, portable pubs they're called. So they're, they're like mini pubs. Uh, we've actually got two of those booked at the moment. <laughs> I do think that. I think that um, Jeremy Powers did a fantastic job in marketing himself. Um, I think that um, uh, there are other riders that are, that are trying. You need to have a bigger base to start with, and there are plenty of uh, companies that will buy you followers, and I know a few riders that have done that to get their fan base up to start with. Um, 
And yeah, there is there is a place for that because then you can show that you you have a return. Um, I have around the last month a million impressions, Steph. Yeah, 1.2 million impressions across social media in January, and I don't have I have a lot of engagements in in my social media, and but I don't have like 50, 60,000 people follow me in any account. Um, but yeah, I think people can do a lot more. I think there could be some really fascinating stories, and I think that the cyclocross riders' lives are very different to road riders, and so I think they could actually be really interesting mini-series on different riders. But it's actually finding someone that wants to do it and finding the athlete to do it. They do, a, at the end of the season, the Super Prestige have a... a they call it the slot show. It's a, a, an end-of-season show, and it's just a one-hour TV program, and they do fun things in it. So one year they did a motocross rider and a cross rider, and they they had to ride the opposite thing to what they race, and they <laughs> it was pretty fun. And uh, then they raced each other in the team one, and then this year they did um, Winter Olympics, and they went to an indoor snow place, and they did um, like uh, stuff on block rubber things. <laughs> they just went down the hill as fast as they could and stuff like that. And it, it's actually quite interesting. It's gimmicky, but it is interesting. They did a thing with Wap and Art where he dressed up as an old man and went to a kids' clinic. Um, and then at the end, he was like, yeah, I'm a pro rider. And you know, it was, there's, there's a lot of fun things they do in Belgium, but the TV companies engage to do that. They don't, the riders don't do off their own backs. But yeah, they definitely could. So I just want to bring it back to Helen 100 because you said that it's been extended the fundraising for another week. So how can people get involved if they haven't already? Um, so you can uh, you can go on to the Just Giving page, um, which uh, links are on my Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, CX Helen on Instagram and Twitter. And um, any other ideas you have for it, just send me an email or message on any of that. Um, and I will get back to you on it and we are looking for ideas as how to make it as successful as possible. It's not just about giving money to under 23 riders to ride a race, um, although our junior here would love some money. Um, <laughs> but So any ideas you have is, is great um, and any, it's also a raffle so anyone that donates any money um, goes into the raffle and the raffle will be drawn on the 4th of March. So just wanted to say thank you so much for coming out and speaking to us tonight, and thank you to everybody for your questions. Um, I believe you're going to be sticking around a little bit longer. Um, so yeah. So thank you again for um, everyone for coming out tonight. I'd like to say a big, big thank you to everybody that joined us on the evening, to any of you that tuned in on Facebook Live, and again, massive thank you to Helen, Hugh, Andrew, and Laura so much for hosting. And if you like what we do, I'm usually joined by my stoker, Jenny. She's busy working away in the London Bike Kitchen. So if you like what we do, look them on your hands and the London Bike Kitchen as Wheelsuckers Podcast, please remember to like rate and subscribe do you know somebody who likes cyclocross do you know somebody that likes podcasts then why don't you recommend our podcast and thanks again everybody for your support see you next time
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.